Good morning. Welcome back to Westbridge. Um, it's so good to be together today, isn't it? Now we, we pray that you have been able to see God's faithfulness in your life this week. And today we gather to respond to it, um, to celebrate God's goodness to us, to encourage one another uh, in that as well. If you're new with us today, um, thank you for joining us. My name is Wes. I'm the worship pastor. And I just want to take a moment to say that we so appreciate you being here um, today. We hope you feel right at home, and we hope you'll let us know that you're here through texting welcome to the number on the screen or filling out that digital connect card. Um, but we're glad you're here with us today. Why don't we go ahead and stand together as we prepare our hearts to sing the praises of God. Let's be reminded from God's word that we have a reason to sing. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. We have so many reasons to sing this morning, don't we? I think the truth in that song holds up that if we were to go around the room and share the wonders that God has done, there would be too many to tell. Stories of God's faithfulness, provision, protection. Stories of God's healing and restoration. Stories of God's amazing salvation given through Jesus Christ. You know, this past week, our high schoolers were down in Tennessee at camp, and several of those students recommitted their lives to Jesus, renewed passion to follow him. Two of those put their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. And we just want to take a minute and celebrate that. It's huge. God has done and is doing so many wonderful things. And we know that there are so many great things to come. So let's worship him with these songs of praise. Praise the mountain, 
fixed upon it, Mount of Irredeeming
can be against me. There's no one. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. He can do all things. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is the cross, God, you see the empty turn. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in you win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you And everything right Exodus 14, when the Israelites are pinned against the Red Sea and the approaching army of Egypt, Moses says this to them. He says, the Lord will fight for you 
You need only to be still. You need only to be still. Man, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? When we feel like our backs are against the wall, we are so quick, so quick to lose hope. We are so quick to grumble, to complain, so quick to worry and be afraid, so quick to try and figure out some other solution in our own power. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently what a wonderful mystery it is that even in our darkest moments, our deepest hurts, we can have rest because of what Christ has done. We can know that we are safe. In a moment, we're going to celebrate what Christ did to make that possible for us as we receive the Lord's Supper together. Before we do that, we are going to sing of this wondrous mystery that the Savior of the world would come to bring us peace. And then we're going to celebrate uh, celebrate that through receiving communion together. to just pause and celebrate communion together remembering what Christ has done you can go ahead and have a seat as some of our elders distribute the communion elements the, the bread and the, the juice those will be in two cups stacked together um, so make sure you grab both of those and then hold on to those we're going to eat and drink those together here in just a moment I think the song that we just sang 
just carries us so well into this moment of, of communion. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. As we reflect on the cross and what Christ has done, we see the price of our redemption, don't we? Our sin incurred a cost, and Jesus paid that cost. And Colossians 2 says that Jesus, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, it's talking about that debt that we owed because of our sin, the debt that Colossians says stood against us. It condemned us before God. Jesus took it away by nailing it to a cross. As we think about the cross, we see the Father's plan unfold. And you know, from our human perspective, it's, it's a, a plan that we have trouble understanding, right? That the cross was not plan B, it was not plan C, it was plan A for our redemption, for us to be made right with God. God's word says that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. This was God's plan to bring you and I to himself. And as we think about that, I think we can be reminded that God's plans today, even though we may not understand them all the time, his plans are good. They're still good. We think about the future and what we know from God's word, what his plans are for the future. We know that our future is good. God's plans are perfect. You know, for us as the people of God, our story does not end in despair and pain, does it? No, because of what Christ has done, our story ends in hope, everlasting joy and glory. And this is what we celebrate as we eat the bread and drink the cup, the bread representing Christ's body that was broken for us, the juice representing Christ's blood that was shed on the cross to forgive our sin, to wash it away and make us right with him. We're going to take a moment here in silent prayer just for you to express to the Lord a prayer of gratitude for what he has done for you. To confess any sin that you need to confess to him and receive his forgiveness. And then in a moment, we'll read some scripture, drink the, or eat the bread together, read a couple more verses and, and uh, drink the cup together. But for now, take a moment, express your gratitude to the Lord in silent prayer.
for, pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just kneel in your presence and power and know that you are the creator, that you've created us, you've created all things, Lord, and we just kneel before you in that, uh, in that power that you have and that willingness that you've um, sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord, that you've uh, made a way for us to be with you, that we're not worthy, Lord. Help us to, to see that. Help us to um, ask for that forgiveness from you, Lord, and recognize that you are the Almighty One. We just thank you for the gift that you've given us and, and the, the body of the, of the Son, Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. Let's pray for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we do this in remembrance of you. Lord, the blood that you spilled out on the cross, Lord, to pay the penalty for my sins our sins, Lord, forgiving them, that we may have a right relationship with you, Lord, and Lord, we are just so, so thankful. We remember your great grace, your great steadfast love, your mercy, your tenderness, your goodness. Lord, I just pray that you help us to remember all of these things that you have done and are doing currently in our lives, Lord, and that we would respond, Lord. We would we would take this great grace and this love and this tenderness and the mercy that you give us, Lord, so that we may turn and do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. Alrighty, let's stand together.
join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And now as we open your word, we just pray that you would continue your transforming work in our hearts, that you would do what only you can do as we look to your word, that you would shape our hearts to be more like Christ. And all this for your glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Excited to uh, begin this new message series that we're calling the uh, Lifted Up. And it's in contrast to a couple in, in May, uh, several weeks ago, we were in a series called How the Mighty Fall. And I don't know if that was a bit like watching a, a train wreck happen as pride took root in the hearts of people and, and they bonk. And Lots to learn, it was good, but I don't know if you felt it was a bit depressing <laughs> just watching these kings fall, 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 fall. Well, and, and ultimately it, it was to point our eyes to Christ, who, who is our king that we follow. But what's neat about, I've been looking forward to this series in that we are going to look at a human who actually was lifted up and in the life of David. And we're just going to track with his life over the next, uh, through July, over the next, today into the next four weeks, and what we're going to uh, observe is humility as it plays out in the realm of life mission. Humility, what's that look like as um, God has called each one of us to be active in serving Him and actually to bring some, some passion to it, right? To, to bring some healthy ambition, to bring zeal. Like, like Romans 2 said, never let your zeal run out. What God has recreated you to do as you do the good, that, that he's made you to do. We're to be doing it like really well and with all our heart. And, and yet this brings attention into our soul and into our everyday life in that to accomplish stuff in life, you have to pretty much dog eat dog, don't you? We live in a dog eat dog world and, and you've got to shove people out of the way. You've got to get up on top. You've got to push your agenda. You've got to take the power. You've got to, you just do, Right? But then we come to Scripture, and we come to Jesus, and we, our king, our leader, and he says, hey, I have, in my kingdom, and the kingdom of God, kingdom of man, they, they overlap, and we're to live kingdom people in this world that's not following him. He says, you are to live a radically different way. And the most dog-eat-dog of disciples, <laughs> who is breaking out the sword, ready to take people out with Jesus, says this. He's the one who says in 1 Peter chapter 5, all of you, so everybody, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so, the clear calling of God is to live a life of humility, allowing him to lift us up. But, but again, the question is, what's that look like as we set out to do the good that he's created us to do in a a dog-eat-dog world. And so today, we're going to drop into a real-life situation. It's, a, uh, it's in the story of David. And what's interesting is we pick it up. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The power structures of the day are wobbly. It's, it's one of those, if you page back one page to 1 Samuel 15, it's the sad story of, of Saul bonking and basically Samuel having to tell King Saul, hey, you were afraid of people. And you chose to ignore God's command. Therefore, he's torn the, the kingdom away from you. And it's a sad moment. He, Samuel loves Saul. Remember, Saul grabs Samuel's robe and says, please don't. And the robe tears. 
And Samuel says, just as that piece of cloth you're holding in your hand, God has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to another person. So now the question in the culture is, who is it in this dog-eat-dog world? Who is going to make the power grab? Who is going to be the next king is the context that we, we pick it up in. And so what we're going to witness over the next few weeks is God lifting up David into a position that he created him to play. And the gift of this moment, I think, for us is that it allows us to see what it looks like to to live with a humble heart as we pursue what God's called us to pursue and and doing what he's, the good that he's made us to do. So, quick, where, where we hope to end up is that each of us will be just lit up to pursue a humble heart, and then that we will see it clearly as we watch this play out in David's life. So that's where we're, we're headed this morning. And if you would join me in 1 Samuel chapter 16, will be our, our text. So the Lord says to Samuel there in verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? So he's just like, hey, there, there is a time to grieve, but then there's a time to move on. And he says, he gives him a real practical action step to, to jumpstart him out of his grief. He says, fill up your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Just an encouragement here when it seems like, I'm sure Samuel's in the grief if he thought he had dreams for, for Saul, dreams for the Israel, and now it, it seems like it's over. God's just reminding him that the kingdom, his work goes on. You know, and maybe this morning that's a word of encouragement to you if you're at the end of a season or things haven't turned out the way you hoped and just know God's work never stops, does it? And and he just, like, hey, here, it's go time. Next step, though, is to go to Jesse. So, but but Samuel has an objection. He says, but how can I go if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So this clues us into the, really the the atmosphere of the day. Saul is not in a good place, um, King Saul, to actually kill Samuel, who's God's high priest, he is insanely jealous. Saul's not in a good place, but Samuel, the kingmaker, is not in a good place either. He's stuck. You think, okay, this is Samuel, who, who was, I mean, he was the man of God, and yet he is stuck in his fear. Interesting, God doesn't um, necessarily disagree with the situation. As he says, the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one that I indicate. And so he uh, makes provision for, for Saul's jealousy. And, and I, one practical application for us, I was thinking about Jesus where he sends out his disciples and he says, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So we live in an evil world and when evil is unleashing, it's, it's wise to, there's times to be wise. Use our minds, think common sense. And then, uh, and then, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Commentators were, were just all just saying, hey, when we see that word, Samuel did what the Lord said, it's a little thing, but it's, it's everything. He, he was obedient. He just did it, you know, and contrasting Saul's disobedience. But, but it's interesting. Why did they tremble? Why did the elders of Bethlehem tremble when they see Samuel coming? Kind of think Samuel's a priest he's represents God if you page back one page chapter 15 he he is judge jury and executioner all in one if a town is off and there were provisions where he was somebody murdered someone he would come and settle things and like 
they were probably thinking, uh-oh, what, what's, what have we done? But thankfully, he tells them, hey, I've come in peace. Samuel replied, yes, or they asked him, do you come in peace? He says, yep, I, I, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Never were they so thankful to see a heifer. And knowing this is not going to be a judgment, but rather a worship time. And so he said, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Consecrate the idea of prepare yourself for worship. And this was to, to basically uh, ritual cleanness. They would, were to change clothes and, and make sure they were clean. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. They're headed to worship. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. We know this is Jesse's oldest son. And he's like, hey, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So he sees Eliab come like, yep, that's him. We don't know much about his stature, but I'm guessing probably, obviously more mature than the other guy's. Maybe tall, maybe look like Saul. He had the it factor when it came to leadership. Yep, I can see this guy leading the battles. That's him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then the third son Jesse had uh, Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, so now he's got this logic issue going on. God clearly said it was one of his sons. What's going on? So he asked, are, there, are, are these all the sons you have? Well, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending sheep. So right now, what is David doing? The youngest son. He's out in the field. He's tending sheep. What what do shepherds do? They lead, they feed, they protect. Doing what a shepherd does. He has no idea what's about to go down. May may know Samuel's in town, but no idea that he is here to pick a king. And he's out tending sheep. Now, what if God had put on his heart, whispered, hey, you are going to be the next king, and he had taken, assumed the responsibility to lift himself up into that position. What, what if that didn't happen, but what if it did? I was just thinking about that. Can you imagine the crushing weight of responsibility that, that he would have felt in those moments? And what if he picked you and said, hey, I think God wants me to be king. Would you come help me elevate myself into the kingship? And you were his chief of staff. I was thinking, what, what would I, immediately there are four things that come to mind. This is going to be really hard and we need to get started right now. The first thing that needs to happen is we need to, you need to exit the shepherding gig ASAP and get with the people, right? <laughs> if you're going to be king, you are not, you're doing no good out here with these sheep. We need to get you with the people, building up some, some respect. Second, you need to impress your dad and your brothers. If your own family, doesn't even call you in when the man in Israel shows up to pick a king. We have issues here. We have reputation issues here. So you have got to figure out something to impress your dad and brothers. If you don't get them behind you, the odds of you becoming king are are slim to none. Third, you need to somehow displace the current king. Now, this is where we may have to bring in the the hitman or something. Well, Well, no, we can't kill him. That's murder. That's against the law. So we're going to have to displace them with some serious political savvy, right? I mean, we are going to have to be working 
the political machine here. I, I don't know if it's a smear campaign or it's a uh, Absalom campaign where we get out in front of the problems, you take all the problems, and then make the king seem like he's irrelevant, don't need him, you got me, move in. I don't, whatever, but we, we've got to displace Saul. Saul's probably around 70 years old right now. He's been reigning a long time. He's got a, a strong contingency, so this is going to be a challenge. And then fourth, uh, you need to convince the kingmaker that you are king material. <laughs> and you're only, we know David's probably late teens, maybe 20 at this time. So you're young. Eliab has his eye. You've got to figure out how to impress him. So we need to go, have you go to Ramah, 10 miles from Bethlehem, and start an internship with, with Samuel, the, the kingmaker, and just spend some time with him, just doing whatever, shepherding his sheep or something. But, but when you have an opportunity, you need to flex your skills your kingly skills, all right, right? That's how you do it. That's how you elevate yourself into a position of influence and authority. And this is all for the good of Israel. I mean, David, look at you. You're what the, you're what the kingdom needs. So, so here we go. Or, 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 you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him lift you up in due time why is it god pulls back the curtains of his inner workings of the elevation the elevator that's going to take him up for us to see but david not he doesn't see this why do we get the 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 window into god elevating perhaps one of the greatest kings ever to serve him i think it's so that we can know, believe, and trust that he is doing the same thing in our lives. If we take him at his word, humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. Now, am I saying that he will make you a king? That he will lift you up to that position of fame and power and and prominence? No, 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 no. (laughs) And we'll talk about what it means to be elevated, but he will lift you up to do what he created you to do for his glory as we humble ourselves before him. So what happens here? And this is so fun to watch play out. Um, his dad's like, yeah, he doesn't even call him by name. I got the youngest. He's out tending sheep. So Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So hold dinner. So now you got seven other brothers who are hungry. And like they're, they're all waiting. He comes running in, huffing and puffing. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Does anyone else find that funny that God would include that in the text? Like, didn't he just say outward appearance doesn't matter? So why is he telling us David was a really good-looking young man? Because outward appearance doesn't matter. There can almost be a reverse bias that comes in when when uh, somebody is attractive or has wealth or has the things of the world that we. No, it, it doesn't matter whether you are attractive or unattractive. What matters is what? He goes on, he says, then he, he, said to, he said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, significant, from that day on, there's a consistency. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went back to to Ramah. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. 
So what did God see in David? And really the question of the day, what matters most to God when he looks at you, looks at me, looks at our hearts? And whatever that is that he saw in him, what matters most to him should matter most to us as we, in terms of what we're pursuing. And the gift of this moment is verse 7. Again, commentators have said this is actually the central verse in all of First and Second Samuel. But it is this, where he says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What matters most to our God is the condition of our heart. And it raises the next question, okay? What is it that he's looking for in our hearts? And the short answer, we, we could uh, talk lots of places in Scripture, but, but we see one of the most clear, brief descriptions in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. Where God says, has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. He's looking for a humble heart. And so today, as we think about, and this year I know we've we've been chasing humility, but just just to bring this back up as... What is our passion? What's your passion in life? What's the main thing? What, what's your pursuit? And even to be thinking, you know, in a day, in a day what, what have I done? What am I embracing that, that's creating humility in me? And to let this pursuit, God, would you form in me and shape in me and let my passion be a humble heart. Humility is what God values. A contrite, a broken spirit. Which leads us to the next question, and as we watch David play out, we're going to be seeing this in his story, but what is a humble heart? Like, okay, see the value of it, I know God values it, but what is it? Like, what exactly does it look like? Especially, like, does it mean I'm a doormat and just, all right, I just have to disappear and and let people walk all over me? Does it mean I just don't try, I go passive on life and and, uh, certainly don't want to, you know, get to a place where I would receive any awards for doing anything and I just want to disappear does it mean I like like, what's it look like this tension of of pursuing what God created me to pursue and be and do with the humble heart what's that look like and we see it in David and three four marks emerge even in this first uh, scripture and the first one is the first mark of a humble heart trembles at God's word this is a theme that we see throughout David's life and really the, the primary difference between him and Saul remember Saul God gave him a command, and he kept the command to a point where his fear of people affected him. And then he, he was like, eh, I'm going I'm to consider the word of God a suggestion for me in this moment. I'm the exception. I'm not actually going to follow it here. I'll follow it a lot of other places, but in this area, I'm not going to follow it. David, on the other hand, trembled at God's word. And what, he did not fear people. He feared God. And, and feared his word and revered it. To tremble at his word means to, uh, to, to let it be our primary authority, to, to submit to it even when it's hard, even when it means um, rejection from people or harm to myself. A humble heart trembles at God's word. Does this describe you today? As we open up the word of God today and as you open it up in your daily chair time and go throughout your your day is 
do you fear people, your boss, the rejection of others, or do you fear his word? Do you tremble at his word, revere his word? A humble heart, a heart that, that is truly seeing God as he is, ourselves as we are, reality clearly is a heart that trembles at the word of God. Second mark of a humble heart embraces God's current assignment, whether big or small. So, does uh, living with a humble heart, again, in this context, mean that we, we lack ambition and we're, we're not pursuing our best at whatever we're doing? The answer is no. And the picture I love is David out in the, the tending sheep, bringing his best. And we know later on we'll find out he was protecting those sheep from lions, bears, at the risk of his own life. But even in this moment, so Bethlehem's a pretty small town. When Samuel shows up in this small town, I am... It's hard to imagine word did not get out to David there at the, because uh, we know they had the worships. Like, this was a public moment, and yet where does he, does David figure out a way to skimp on his shepherding job and at least go just watch this play out? No, he sticks by the sheep. I think it's another indicator of he's going to bring his best. He's, and we know in Colossians chapter 3, whatever job God's given us, whatever, whatever assignment in life with in our vocation, but also in our ministry to be bringing our best for him. Not worrying about, you know, what kind of job it is, the accolades that it brings, but just simply doing my current assignment for the glory of God. I'm embracing that as a picture of a humble heart. Success for the, the child of God, for the follower of Christ, is faithfulness in whatever he's, he's called us to in this season of life, isn't it? I just love that as I think about how many, I, I see you, so many of you, and this past week even, and the ladies last week preparing a meal for the Eubank family as they were grieving. And most of us, we won't know who did that, but there they are, but who sees that? And, and it's the Lord. He, he will reward that. He will lift that up. As we humble ourselves before Him and are faithful to simply as he did, wash feet, whatever that looks like in our context. He, he told us, this is the path of blessing. I will lift you up. Third uh, mark of a, or, or a, yeah, third mark of a humble heart we see is, is a humble heart waits for God's perfect timing. It's interesting on verse 13, as, uh, you know, okay, Samuel tells him, you are the king anoints him he leaves for Ramah what happens to David in these moments does he march you know everybody get around him. his brothers are with him now get around him they march to Jerusalem and put him up on the throne no he enters a scholars feel it's like between a 10 and 15 year season of utter suffering now he has a few highs <laughs> you know he kills I don't want to spoiler next week but he kills some people Helps some people, delivers Israel. and uh, <laughs> But well, what's that lead to? Just years of low suffering. It's that J curve, suffering then glory. But, but what's David do through these, this decade of, of really pretty much suffering? And the spirit of God coming upon him was to empower him through the suffering. He waits on the Lord. Waits on the Lord. Waits on the Lord. He has opportunity to take the power. He waits on the Lord. We'll see it play out again and again and again. One of the tensions we feel as we pursue our life mission is 
When do we wait on the Lord and when do we go make it happen, right? We are to be faithful in using our gifts, active in service, busy about doing the Lord's work, and just do something, right? That's one of the, the principles. We're, we're to be get, like the ant, get up, get busy, get it done. We're, we're to be serving and active, but when it comes to being lifted into positions of authority, influence, leadership, and this is me speaking, this isn't thus saith the Lord, but, but here's out of this principle, I would, and after years of ministry and my own life, here's what I would say. Let your default always be, let the Lord lift you up in his kingdom. I I was looking back and was asking the staff about this this week too, but it is eerie to me how in the ministry realm and service realm and leadership positions, almost everything that I have tried to lift myself up into did not go well and bore no fruit. And nearly every fruit-bearing ministry has been someone else lifting me up into that position. And it's just where God clearly, it wasn't me going to grab power or grab a position or grab influence. It was God saying, John, I'm going to put you here. But it's very clear he can take me out. And I didn't put myself here. He did. The uh, a humble heart waits for God's perfect timing. I, I wonder if you've had that similar experience, and and uh, you can take that one for yeah. What we do know, though, um, we are to be waiting for His timing, waiting on Him. And one mark of a humble heart is that. Fourth mark of a humble heart relies on God's empowering grace. And there in verse thirteen, just so encouraging, it says, "From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David." And what, what is going to empower him every moment of every day for the next 10 years and then when he becomes, officially becomes king to lead this kingdom to thriving? What's going to empower him to sustain the kingdom? To have the wisdom to, to manage and govern and, and do all that he will do. There's only one thing and it's, it's God's empowering grace through his spirit it's not david's amazing strength creativity leadership skills god will use those but that's not the cause and what is it that will empower you to do the good that god created you to do in a way that that truly bears fruit in his kingdom brings him glory joy to those around you and you taste the the joy of being a part of what he was doing it's his holy spirit that's enabling us empowering us that we receive at the moment of salvation a humble heart relies on God's empowering grace. It's Him. What's neat about this is we rely on His empowering grace. It's, uh, it takes the pressure off, you know, where He put us here. Um, he's the one who's sustaining us. He's the one who will keep it going. And there's peace in that, isn't there? There's rest in that. It also means He gets all the glory for any good that, that flows through our lives. I don't think I'll ever get over the joy of, of taking off in an airplane. If anyone else feels that, just the... That runway or, or the plane turns and, and gets ready to just, and I, sometimes I'll catch myself acting like I'm the pilot, putting my foot down on the gas, you know, just like, pure power, just speed and, you know, the G-forces and then just to feel that lift and up into the clouds we go. And think about the contrast. How high can I jump when I'm on my vertical jump, you know? I think I can still get the net in the basketball court. 
But it's just inches. But here, with the power of these jet engines, we're in the clouds. Imagine at some point, while we're up there at 30,000 feet cruising altitude, I inform the stewardess, hey, you got me up here, but I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to fly my way down to my destination. (laughs) That would be a moment of insanity. Crazy. But how often do we do that in the spiritual life? God lifts us up gives us, saves us, you know, lifts us up out of our sin, lifts us up out of our bondage to sin, anything, he helps us become people who are good, but then he empowers us through his spirit to do good, he opens up the doors for us to step in, and he lifts us up into ministry opportunities, opportunities to influence, and then we get there and we say, all right, stewardess, I'll take it from here, and what happens? There is only one way. That, that we do what he's called us to do. And it is by his empowering grace. A humble heart never loses sight of that, relies on that, rests in that, and celebrates that. A couple weeks ago on Sabbath, I was um, sitting in the lawn chair watching the chicken cook and pulled out the uh, Psalm 131. And I was feeling the stress of feeling like, man, I got to keep everything going. And I just love this. This is a king running a kingdom who says this. Psalm 131. This is David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. What do you mean? David, you can't say that. You've got a kingdom to run. Say, no, I I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. What's he saying? He said, I, I'm calming my soul down. I'm, I'm getting humble. And I'm like a, a kid next to his mom. I'm not crying for the next meal. I'm not freaking out like, Mom, don't you know I'm hungry? No, I know that my mom loves me. She's going to give me more than enough food. And then he turns to his whole nation and he says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Isn't that awesome? Picture of the king with a humble heart, relying on the power of God to provide. So as we bring it all together, the question that we arrive at is, when God looks at your heart today, what does he see? Does he see a humble heart? This is what matters most to him. Of all the things that we're pursuing in life, are we pursuing this? Are you pursuing this? Am I trembling at his word? Am I faithfully serving him in the assignment he's given me? Am I waiting on his perfect timing? And am I relying on his empowering grace? And as you humble yourself before him, what's he promise? He will lift you up. He will. Into the joy of a growing relationship with him. Into the joy of doing the good he created you to do all for his glory. So does this mean that you will be, he will make you a great king like David? (laughs) No! Something better. This means he will empower you to be the, the you he created you to be. Somebody who can reflect the glory of God in a way that no other human being in all of history can reflect the glory of God as you're fully alive in him through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? The joy of a humble heart is that it leads us into the freedom of being content to be his dearly loved 
child. The one thing that we all have in common in this room is one day we will lay our head on our pillow and we won't even be able to lift it up again. And that, you're thinking, John, that's depressing. Can we get back to rising up like wings with an eagle and uh, <laughs> Air Jordan lift? And the reality is it is depressing, but it's important. It's bad news, but it leads us to the good news. Jesus Christ came precious truth that we celebrated in communion for that moment everyone it's hard young people like you guys that's hard for me to picture but uh we will get there where everyone in this room will not even have the strength to lift our head up off the pillow and it's in that moment for those who have trusted christ as savior that our god lifts us up but it requires a humble surrender to jesus christ as savior admitting that we've sinned, admitting that we need His help, trusting Him as our Savior. But what a truth, what a precious hope that we have. And if you haven't trusted Christ, I invite you today, why not today? Trust Him as your Savior. And for the rest of us, um, just to, what a precious hope that not only will He lift us up, but He will lift us into His presence, a perfect, to be with a perfect God, with a perfect people, with a perfect body for all of eternity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, for uh, just preserving for us the life of David. And as we uh, see him live with the humble heart, our eyes go to Jesus, they go to you. The, uh, the one born in the line of David, the, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And we just praise you this morning for lifting us up out of our sin and providing a way for us to be forgiven through your work on the cross. We thank you for lifting us up out of our bondage to sin and um, little by little forming in us a heart that loves you and loves others. Lord, we thank you for lifting us up into a a life that has purpose and giving us meaning and and then instructing us on, on what this looks like to walk with you humbly. Lord, we look forward to the day that we are with you, but in the meantime, we pray that you would give us a humble heart. Lord, do that work that only you can do in helping us want humility and then forming that in us. And uh, Lord, we we thank you for uh, your work and trust you and uh, thank you in advance for what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand together.
things to celebrate. One, welcoming the Barker family into our church family. So Neil and uh, Zeke are the little guys, Josh and Jess, mom and dad. And it was so neat to hear their story. What stood out to me was that just a couple years ago, they were beginning to have just questions about life. And it was friends at work inviting them to church and then um, a process of just being their eyes open to who Christ is, what he did for them. That finally led to their salvation, their trust in him. And then they were baptized here not long ago. And just so neat seeing them uh, jump on board. And we, uh, neat side note, they built their own, Josh built their own house with their, his own hands. So any of you guys who are, enjoy the home improvement, this is a yeah, neat story. But excited to have them with us. Would you join me in welcoming them? And then uh, following this theme of construction, love big moment was Chad and Elizabeth Walker noticed their neighbor had a house that was in disrepair. 
dangerous for her going across the, the porch. And they said, could we help? Her name's Jane. I said, yep, come on. They rallied our church family, the community, and went to work on this house. So here's the before picture, one more before picture. So it was pretty bad. Team goes to work, and here's, as of today, what this house looks like. that awesome and so on july the 15th it's a saturday two to four we're um chad's thinking we'd have an open house and jane would like to meet those who helped out and so you're invited to just drop by the porch right there on uh, i believe it's washington street and uh and visit her so thank you for loving big thanks chad and elizabeth and just team this is one picture of many ways it's happening something else that's been happening that's been so neat and just want to say keep on keeping on we call these in groups ing groups it's um, it, as a staff, but basically it's when, when we get together doing something we love. So eating, bird watching, biking, pickleballing, tennising, softballing. You pick it. Whatever you love to do, golfing. For, we've had 24 golfers every Monday night show up. And I know I would come home to Tam and say, babe, I just golfed with three of the most wonderful people <laughs> i get to spend two hours with brother some brothers sisters in christ that i wouldn't have doing something we love fishing so keep on god works in those moments so in your whatever in group you're doing and if you want us to help launch your in group or promote it let us know but i thank you for just doing life together keep on with that so with that we're going to go popsicling after the second service i believe it's still on popsicles and playground kids and everybody big kids little kids drop by grab it and then you can roll to begin our uh, celebration for fourth of july and praise god for the freedom we enjoy hope you have a, a wonderful holiday with your family and friends god bless you